Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Hey, everybody. I'm uh, thankful to be here and excited to share in the celebration at, uh, of Easter at uh, Calvary Chapel South Bay. And uh, i got to say, L.A. County's really growing on me and uh, no lines at the restaurants. Um, I don't know if you all were talking about traffic. There's nobody on the roads. I mean, this is a really, really comfortable place to live. The weather's been great and... Um, I mean, people don't crowd you here. They seem to give you a lot of space to move around and hope you aren't losing your sense of humor wherever you are. And just because we can smile at the absurdity of something does not mean that we have lost the sobriety or the significance or the seriousness of what we're under. But, you know, it says in Psalm 2 that he who sits in the heavens laughs at the ragings of men and God himself finds humorous our human strivings because he is so completely and totally in control of everything, even now. So let's rest in that. I hope you're having a a joyful uh, time with those who are near you this Easter. And we're thankful to be uh, joined from people around North America and around the world who are listening in on this worship service. He is risen, right? Amen. And, uh, you know, we have uh, typically wanted a, uh, you know, clap your hands, all you people, shout to God with a voice of triumph. And uh, but maybe uh, Easter 2020 is more solitude, more uh, seriousness, more soberness about this anchoring reality that Jesus Christ is alive. In fact, the title of this uh, teaching uh, is uh, The Pivotal Peace. And I'm glad to be able to take a moment and to talk to you about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, if you have a copy of God's Word, it would be awesome if you would uh, turn with me there in your living room, in your car, in your backyard, in your office, in your... God sees you there. And uh, let's open His Word together. You know, we show respect for the Word of God when we open. You say, well, I know the passage. Right, right, I know it too. But we show respect for the Word of God when we open to the Word of God. And what I'd like to do right now is just... I'll read a portion of God's word uh, to you. Uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15 is the most extensive teaching in all of Scripture on the most important subject on all of Scripture, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, so verses 1 through 11, we're going to call this facts of the resurrection. Facts of the resurrection, here we go. Um, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, there it is, see, the pivotal piece, the summa cum laude, the ground zero anchor center. Without this, we have nothing. Paul says under the inspiration of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 15, 3, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, no explanation for why we're getting that name, but that's Peter, then to the 12, 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Interesting, we don't know those details from the scriptures of which um, had uh, gone to be with the Lord by the time Paul was writing to the church in Corinth. Verse seven, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, here comes his testimony, he appeared also to me. Of course, Paul met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus and was gloriously converted. Verse nine, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Boom. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me, whether then it was I or they, so we preach. In other words, the messenger didn't matter in the end. We preached the truth. You believed. That's why we're talking. Verse 12, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? Fact of the matter is, as people say uh, always that there's no resurrection, there's more resurrection deniers than there are resurrection believers. You should know that. And after more than 30 years of preaching every Easter about the resurrection, let me say we're in the best passage uh, right here. This is the clearest teaching about it. I love the gospel accounts where we experience portions of the resurrection. As Pastor Jeff preached earlier today, and I love this passage where we get more concentrated teaching about the resurrection and its significance. So um, we're in the number one passage. And let me just say, this is um, what is so categorically denied every year. If we weren't in the COVID virus, we would be seeing in Newsweek magazine and uh, in Time magazine and so on. They do the same thing every year. They come out with some Christ denying the search for Jesus. What are we searching for him for? He says, if you seek for me, you'll be found, he'll, that he'll find us. And um, we don't have to search for him for very long. But of course, a recent, just as an example, a recent Time magazine article uh, said this, um, quote, the seminar found that all of the nativity descriptions of Jesus were inauthentic, end quote. So everything to do with the birth of Jesus never happened. And they say it's all false. The wise men never came. The shepherds never came. There was no manger. There was no, there was no, no vacancy at the inn. In fact, the Jesus seminar says that it was all false except for one thing. There was a lady named Mary. Newsflash, there was a lady named Mary. No miracle working, nothing miraculous of any kind. About Easter, the Jesus Seminar, according to Time Magazine, says, um, Easter and the resurrection, all descriptions of Jesus, inauthentic. Palm Sunday, the statement that he was a Messiah never happened. Then in uh, Newsweek, um, actually a recent issue of Newsweek a few years back, uh, the article was entitled, Rethinking the Resurrection. Here's what it said, quote, over the past five years, scholars have published more than two dozen books and scores of footnoted articles initiating a fierce debate over the resurrection of Jesus. Various biblical scholars argue that the gospel stories of the empty tomb and Jesus' post-resurrection appearances were fiction devised long after his death to justify his claims of deity. Wow. To hear them tell it, the resurrection is an embarrassment to the modern mind. Quote, does Christianity owe its origin to the resurrection? Of the dozens of books denying the resurrection story, many are written by liberal scholars. By re, re, uh, reconstructing the life of Jesus, they hope to show that belief in the bodily resurrection of Jesus is a burden to the Christian faith and deflect attention toward his role as social reformer. And all God's people said, eh, right? Like, stop saying this stuff. That's not why I tuned in here. You're just a little bit more, you'll be fine. 
A guy named Good Luderman, a visiting professor at Vanderbilt University, says this, the resurrection is an empty formula that must be rejected by anyone holding a scientific worldview. I would never want to go to a church led by a person whose prerequisite was you can't believe that a miracle can happen. I mean, what kind of God would we have if he was up in heaven going, wish I could do something about that? Wish I could do something about that? Certainly he wouldn't be worship-inducing. In his latest book, this uh, Luderman says, uh, it's called What Really Happened to Jesus. Luderman argues that Jesus' body rotted away in the tomb. Uh, The risen Christ appeared uh, to the apostle, according to Luderman, was a vision produced by Peter's overwhelming grief and guilt for having denied Jesus. How is he so sure about the part of the Bible that says he denied Jesus, but not sure at all about the, or, or even, I don't get it. As the apostle Paul, who previously persecuted Christians, his vision of the risen Christ on the road to Damascus was a resolution of an unconscious Christ complex. And you can come up with a lot of stuff if you get to just make it up, right? And what the New Testament described as more than 500 followers to whom Jesus appeared, he called that, quote, mass ecstasy, end quote. Uh, John Dominic Crossant, one of the great uh, Christ deniers of our day, Wow, what a, what a thing to be famous for. Prolific biblical scholar, pseudo, at DePaul University in Chicago said that the tomb of Jesus was indeed empty. Why? His body would have already been devoured by wild dogs. Anti-supernatural, pseudo-intellectual, if Jesus doesn't fit in a test tube, it's not real nonsense. So the question is, is that right? Can you be a follower of Jesus Christ and not believe in his resurrection? Can you follow Jesus Christ and not believe that he is alive? The answer is no, you can't. And the evidence is not from the mind of some scholar. The evidence is from the word of God. So let's turn our attention there now. This is a little game I brought from home. I wasn't sure if I wouldn't get maybe just a little, you know, I don't know, just a little distracted during the message. And if I wouldn't want to just take a little break and play a little game. But let me get back to the sermon now. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and uh, just really to me, it, it, this is a mind-boggling truth. Paul, Paul addresses in the passage um, to a group of people, by the way, in Corinth, they were surrounded by, um, it was a Greek society. They were surrounded by Platonists, which are, followers of Plato. Plato taught that the physical world, uh, bodies, trees, um, plant life, um, oceans, uh, dirt, rocks. Plato taught that everything physical was inherently evil, almost to them, almost disgusting. So to them, the idea of an afterlife where you have your physical body was, was kind of repulsive, honestly. And so Paul, they were saying, well, we don't, even if Jesus did rise from the dead, we don't want to rise from the dead. We don't want to take our bodies into eternity. And so that's why in the text, he says, look at verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can you, some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. He's like, this all tied together in a chain, y'all. It's a link. If you say you don't want to be raised, then that's what Christianity is. It's being raised after you die. Jesus is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So let me just give them to you. Here they come. If you'd like to take notes, jot these down. Five facts regarding the resurrection of Christ. And uh, here's the first one. I just read the text. 
If Christ is not risen, then our, verse 14, let me just say it. If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is empty. That's what the word vain means, is in vain. And your faith is in vain. It means for nothing, to no end, empty. The word empty here can also mean futile, useless, worthless, without purpose, empty. My pr- ouch, ouch. My preaching is empty. What's happening right now is worthless, a colossal and total waste. Boy, he really goes to the heart of the day. Not sure I can preach that with the usual force. I feel a little vulnerable but I don't feel vulnerable at all because Christ is alive. If the preaching is useless because Jesus is dead, then, hey, y'all, it's not useless. But of course, he's addressing himself to the things that they had been hearing and thinking. And it seems like everything is off kilter this spring because of the COVID virus. But normally, springtime is one of my favorite, favorite times of year. And where we raised our kids in the Midwest. This is when all the bulbs are springing and the daffodils are opening and the tulips are beautiful and the birds are singing again. Not a lot of birds singing in the, you know, blizzard winter, but boy, when you start to hear those birds sing again, you're just waking up in the morning and you can hear them outside and the buds on the trees are opening. And I remember many years ago when our oldest son, Luke, boy, he couldn't have been more than 10 years old. I was, uh, Kathy and I, of course, were pastoring a church in Chicago, and uh, I went to my son's, he was playing on a baseball team, and they wanted the parents to help out, and so I went to the baseball practice, and uh, I didn't know what to do, I just kind of got there, so I, I took a bat, and I started hitting uh, fly balls out to the kids. Well, wouldn't you know it, I, I like to kind of play a low profile, I don't, I don't play the pastor card very often, and, um, and uh, so some guy yells out while I'm hitting the fly balls, Hey, don't wear yourself out. We we know you only work one day a week. What? Oh gosh, he knows I'm a pastor. He's not. A, he doesn't like pastors. This is going to be so awesome. So I didn't say anything. <laughs> Later on, we're jogging around to finish the practice. We're jogging around the field with all the kids, and the parents are jogging along, you know. And I, I don't know. He was a few feet away from me, and he says, "Hey, don't wear yourself out. We know you only work one day a week." I don't know, I, I tend to get super quiet when I'm not sure and I just didn't say anything. But we got back in the car and I said to my son, Luke, what, what, what the heck? What's with that guy? How does he even know I'm a pastor? Well, dad, you, you, you didn't come to the first practice, remember? And you, you, I, they asked me why. So I said, you were at a church board meeting. Uh, then what happened? He said, well, then he asked me what church and I told him. Well, I had done a little asking around about this guy and it turns out he went to the local community church that was, you know, our church at this point was probably seven or eight years old and had a couple of thousand people. And this community church was 30 or 40 years old and only had a hundred people going to it. I said to my son, well, he's just, he's upset because there's so much blessing and favor on our ministry. And, and, uh, and, uh, you know, in that church, they don't believe that the Bible is God's word. They don't believe that Jesus is God's son. They don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, my very wise 10-year-old son said, well, what do they preach on? I said, nothing. They have, they have nothing to say. If, if you don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, 
Thank God for the COVID virus. Throw away the keys. Those churches should never reopen. They have nothing, nothing, nothing to say. And they're empty anyway because people don't go to church to find out what you don't believe. Now, this idea that if Christ isn't read, this idea that if Christ isn't risen from the dead, preaching is a waste of time. Not my idea. I just showed it to you in the scriptures. Let me show it to you again. 1 Corinthians 15, 14. And if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our preaching is in vain. Right, our preaching's in vain and you won't like this as much. Your faith is in vain. It's not preachers that, just preachers that are out of work, all right? Christians can hang it up too. If Jesus is dead, let's go golfing or something. Why are we spending another second on this? You're like, well, your, your line of argumentation is so negative. It's the Holy Spirit, so you figure it out. It's the angle that God's word is taken. It's called, it's an actual um, logical form of argumentation. It's uh, the idea of ad absurdium. It's the idea that just think about this, where this goes. If Jesus, how important is this? Well, it's this important. It's exposing the error of the thinking by appeal to things that are obviously absurd. Obviously, your faith is not in vain. Obviously, preaching is not in vain. But that's where we would have to go if Christ is not risen. Now, I'll stop when he stops. He's just telling us everything hangs on this. Jesus would be a liar if he's not risen. The Bible would be a joke if he is not risen. Um, if Christ is not ridden, then COVID is a blessing. As I said, throw it all away. I'm going to burn my library. I, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to learn to surf. I'm going to do something other than this. Trusting a God who is dead, praying to a savior whose body was eaten by dogs. Is that what we're doing? Here's the second thing. If Christ is not risen, all ministers of Christ through all ages are liars. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are... See, if Christ is not risen, that doesn't mean there isn't a God. That doesn't mean that there isn't a world religion. That doesn't mean that maybe Buddhism is the thing. Maybe Islam is the thing. It's only Christians are claiming that Jesus rose from the dead. And that is the thing that obliterates all others. The Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. That risen Savior is the one who excludes the possibility of all other world religions. But if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you know, maybe we should um, start burning incense and see what the East has to offer. That's what he's saying here. Not that there isn't a God, but that we're misrepresenting God by testifying about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. One of the disciples said, you know, these last three years, this kind of been a big waste of time. They all just got in the upper room and Jesus was dead and they started thinking to themselves, you know, we put a lot into this. We put a lot of time and energy into this Jesus thing. Now he's dead. What are we going to do? And they said to each other, well, what if we did this? And they just like cooked up this plan. They cooked up this whole plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go down to the tomb. We're going to bypass the guards. We're going to roll away the stone. 
We're going to steal his body and hide it so good that it'll never get found. We're going to act encouraged even though we're devastated. We're going to fabricate miracles and we're going to do them in front of people that hate us and want to prove that what we're doing is false. We're going to spread the word for our whole lives that this thing we're making up is true and we're going to die a torturous death without ever recanting a single word, not one of us. And everyone's like, plan, break. How plausible is that? Think back to Watergate. All they had to do was think back to Bernie Madoff. Think back to these terrible things with this Epstein this past year. All they had to do was threaten people with an inquiry maybe a little bit of jail time. And they were like, tweet, 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 tweet. As soon as it got hard, everybody started singing. I don't want to go to jail. So how on earth is it possible that they took apostles and put wood around their feet and doused it with an inflammation, something, uh, an accelerant and lit them on fire And as the flames began to leap up around them, said, deny Christ and you'll live. Deny Christ and you'll live. And listen, and listen, and waiting with pen in hand to write down what they would say. But not one of them. Not ever. They wanted that story. This was back before the day today where people just make stuff up. There is no story like that because they never recanted because it wasn't a scheme. In fact, it just blows my mind the biblical evidence and the historic evidence for the exact opposite. You mean to tell me that ministers all over the world preaching about the resurrection of Jesus today from the worst of circumstance, from the most difficult of preaching to an empty room, looking into a camera, imagining you where you are right now, but determined to be faithful to this message. We're we're what? We're proclaiming a power we've never experienced. We're worshiping a Christ that hasn't risen, that's never touched our lives. That's absurd. If Christ is not risen, Christianity is a colossal waste of time. If Christ is not risen, all ministers of Christ through all ages are liars. Now this thirdly, If Christ is not risen, then forgiveness of sin is an impossibility. Now look for that with me in the text. Verse 16. For if Christ, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, worthless, empty, pointless, And you are still in your sins. Those of you who know Christ, do you remember the glorious sense of cleansing, the beautiful realization that those things that you regret, those things that you wish you could not say, not do, not see, those things that hang over your life like a dark cloud and to realize in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ Sins are forgiven. God has wiped the slate clean. Can you imagine that that isn't so? But if Christ is not raised, 
then we are still in our sins. Some of my greatest memories of the Good Friday services that Kathy and I have been participating in and leading uh, for many years is every four or five years, we would uh, erect large crosses at the front of the church, maybe one here and one central and one over on this side. And we would have uh, people dressed as Roman soldiers. And as people come into the service, we would give them a nail and a nail that was like a blacksmith would make, not just like a hardware store, perfect nail, but a older spike, as we might've seen in New Testament times, a roughly hammered nail. And everyone would hold one through the whole service. And then people would uh, take a piece of paper and a red pen that we would give them and write as though in the blood of Christ, their sins on a piece of paper. And then they would come to one of the stations as the Roman soldiers took one of their nails and literally nailed, this is what Paul said to the church at Colossae, that he has taken the handwriting that was against us and he has nailed it to the cross. This is the great victory that we're celebrating in the empty tomb and making that ad absurdum argument. Paul says here, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. What that means, of course, is, so I don't really think I have a lot of sins. Note this, an awareness of personal sin is indispensable to a right view of others, to a right view of yourself, to a right view of the cross, and is a prerequisite to genuine rejoicing at the empty tomb. It's this sense of, I am the one who needed my sins forgiven. I am the one for whom Christ died and rose again. And uh, see, personal sin's a pretty big problem. Isaiah 53, six says that all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord, the Lord God, Yahweh, God the Father has laid upon him his son, Jesus, the sin or the iniquities of us all. Jesus was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. This is the message of the cross, that Jesus paid a debt he did not owe because I owed a debt I could not pay. When you believe that personally, That is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The wages for sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. What that means, most specifically what that means is, is that we will not uh, suffer uh, in hell as a result of it. And that's what comes up in the next point. I look at verse 18. If Christ is not risen, then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If Christ is not risen, then all those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Verse 18, 1 Corinthians 15, 18. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, have perished. And we use the word perish. We think of uh, an orange or a banana that was left too long on the counter and it has perished. And that is the idea that the life has gone out of it. The idea here of perished actually, though, means uh, far more than that not just to die physically, but to die spiritually, to suffer in hell. That's why John 3.16, the most famous verse in the Bible, says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not, say it, 
would not perish, would not perish. God gave his son so that whoever believed in him would not perish. It means to suffer in hell, the opposite of eternal life. Hell is a real place. It's as real a place as where you are right now. It's as real as where I am right now. People are in hell right now. And if Jesus Christ is not risen, everyone is in hell right now. Every apostle is in hell if Christ is not risen. Jesus' mother Mary is in hell if Christ is not risen. The apostle Paul, who wrote this, is in hell. Martin Luther, John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, they're all in, Chuck Smith is in hell if Christ is not risen. Amy Carmichael, Fanny Crosby, Corey Tenboom, C.S. Lewis, Mother Teresa, Chuck Colson, Billy Graham went to hell this past year. If Christ, he's like, that's absurd. It is absurd. And that is the point that he is making. Let me read it to you again. Word of God speak. Then also those who have fallen asleep or died in Christ have perished. Wow. No, obviously that can't possibly be true. If Christ is not risen, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Nope, nope, nope. Not a chance, not a chance, not a chance. But that's true. This is such a central doctrine. Let me read verse 19 to you. If in Christ we have hope in this life, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If Christianity is, and Christianity is a better life, y'all. Christianity is a better life. If there was no heaven, if there was no hell, pick Christ for a better life here, the end. But the scripture says, if we only have hope in this life in Christ. He's like, it's not enough. We are of all people most to be pitied. That word there, pity, means disgusting. Um, actually, pathetic would have been a really good translation. Can I just talk about pathetic for a minute? Because we're all pathetic if Christ is not risen. Let's talk about pathetic for a minute. It's not a word we use very often. It's kind of pathetic. We're standing up at the front of a church not so long ago within the last couple of years and a sharp, I mean, sharp young man. You know, when you're meeting somebody who's kind of got it together a little bit, this real sharp young man, I'd say maybe 16, 17 years old, came up to me and, oh, Pastor James, really glad to meet you. And my family listens to you on radio. I don't remember what he said exactly, but they were familiar and had come to visit and just gave me a very warm greeting. And so I like to <laughs> change the subject. And so I just said to him, tell me, tell me about yourself. Um, um, you're in high school. Yep. Yep. I am. And, and, uh, well, just, just tell me about that. He said, well, he said, I'm the uh, captain of my basketball team and I'm the president of the student council. Wow. I mean, I gotta be honest, I was kind of impressed. And just, I mean, like right then his parents came up and I got to know them and it seems like he drifted off a little bit. And so I was talking to them and they appreciated the way that our ministry had impacted their family and they were just thanking me. It was a very pleasant conversation. And, and at some point they said, I said, well, your son's really, really, accomplishing a lot in school. And they, they said, yes, he's homeschooled. <laughs> I had to hold it together. He's the captain of his football, basketball team or whatever, but he's homeschooled. 
He's the president of his student body, but he's like, what, did you run against your sister for the election? I was like, I didn't say anything, but I just thought that's so pathetic. And, and, and lest you think that I'm only talking about them, I've got this kind of cool habit. I think it's cool. You might think it's dumb, but I really like Panda Express, first of all. I'm a huge fan of that. So I mean, you know, um, really like it a lot. And I like the part, if you ever go out with your friends for Chinese food, I like the part of the meal where you get to the end, you know this part, and, and, and you break open the fortune cookie, right? And you take out the fortune cookie, but it's, sometimes it says just the dumbest things. So I started this new thing a few years ago where when I, when I um, open it, I mean, nobody ever looks at it. Just say whatever. Just say everything. So when I open it, I'm just like, do your friends realize how blessed they are to have dinner with you? I just say stuff like that. Or Confucius says you're a beautiful, sexy man. <laughs> now, I know what you want to say. You want to say, wow, you are pathetic. Right. <laughs> okay, have we got pathetic now? That's what pathetic is. It's like, are you, you've got to be kidding me. Like how completely, totally desperate and worthless is your effort to appear as though you have something when you don't have much at all? That's what pathetic is. Back to the text. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most pathetic. What are y'all worthy, worthy, worthy about? He's dead. What are, what are y'all about? Glory, hallelujah, praise all. He's dead. You get it? It's a joke. It's pathetic. This isn't some like unimportant, off point, uh, minimally um, significant truth. This is the pivotal piece. Now this. I just really got to go hard at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Jesus is not risen, our preaching is a huge waste of time. It's in vain. We're misrepresenting God. Preachers are liars. If, if, if Jesus is not risen, then there's no afterlife. Everyone goes to hell. Our faith is worthless. Our Hope is pathetic, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been raised. He has been raised. This is not some truth that you can be kind of casual about. This is a truth that, look, if you take it out, if you take it out, this piece. I brought you an enlarged version. This piece. Take this out, we have nothing. With the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have everything no matter what we lack. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have nothing no matter what we have. This is the pivotal piece. This is the pivotal piece. So you're like, well, how can you be so sure about these things? All right, let me just quickly then in conclusion, give this to you. These are my top 10 reasons why I believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're ready, say go. 10, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who rolled the stone? Little Mary and Martha, right? They're like, you gotta get your shoulder behind it. You gotta, <laughs> seriously? 
Yeah, right. If, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, um, who rolled the stone? They got the guards to do it? The Bible says in Matthew 28 that the Pharisees actually bribed the guards, by the way. Um, no way did they roll away the stone. It doesn't matter who was there. It doesn't matter if the, they wouldn't get the guards to help. If the, if the guards helped them, in New Testament times, if you were sent to guard a prisoner and you let them escape, you got the punishment that they got. What was the punishment? Jesus got death. What was the punishment they would get if they allowed them? No, 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 no. A garrison of Roman soldiers overtaken by a bunch of fishermen who three days earlier, talk about a six feet separation, a 60 feet. They were like 600 feet away from them. The Bible says that Peter was the closest one and they described him as following from far off. They couldn't stay with him when his life could still be spared. But now that he's gone, they're risking their lives just to get his body. I don't think so. It doesn't make any sense at all. And number nine, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why were the guards bribed? I mentioned that already. I really like that part. So I guess I got ahead of myself. Matthew 28, 12 and 13. He actually went to the guards. The Pharisees did and paid them money. Why would they do that if in fact Jesus was in the tomb? He was dead. Eight, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who appeared to the apostles? These weak, uh, vacillating. And, and I mean, they couldn't even stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now they're going to risk their life for the same thing? If, if they didn't see the resurrected Christ. I mean, I, I'm all about this. I'm following a person who said, I'm going to die. And after three days, I'm going to rise again. He said he would do it. He did what he said he would do. He, he revealed himself to all the people who he told he would do it to. And then they spent the rest of their lives serving him and going to a torturous death without denying him. Something undeniable happened. Jesus Christ is alive. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who empowered the apostles to heal? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. Miracles performed in front of people who want more than anything to prove that you're a farce. But they can't. There is no record in any historical account of any of these things being refuted. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, how were 500 people convinced to lie? I just had 500 of my friends over to my house. and just said, hey, let's spend the rest of our life lying about this. I've tried to lead people in the truth and it's hard to get 500 people to do what's true. There's always some guy's wife who's like, we're not doing this, right? How do they get 500 people to commit to this, to stick to a lie? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, why did the apostles die as martyrs? Who were they dying for? Why would they die? They didn't love their families? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who appeared to Saul on the road to Damascus in an experience that created the greatest missionary the world has ever known. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, number three, who changed, make it a little more personal. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who changed my life? I wish you could see an 18-year-old kid so confused and mixed up and on drugs. and Life changed by Jesus Christ. Life spent now, nearly spent for Jesus Christ. No matter what I would do differently in my past, I would only shout louder the news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I will never stop speaking about it as long as I have breath because I know what I know what I know. 
If you, and what about you? What about your life? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who's meeting with Christians all over the world this weekend, showing himself strong in the darkest of times, the light shines only brighter. Love for Jesus is on the rise while human desperation is rising too. And finally, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, who did all this stuff? Everywhere I go are local churches and devoted, beautiful people giving their lives to the Savior, the risen Savior who touched them. No, I say to you this morning, he is alive. He is alive. To all the followers of Jesus Christ, we are not pathetic. We say with the apostle Paul that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. Those who have fallen asleep in Christ are not in hell. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Because Christ is risen, forgiveness of sins is not an impossibility. Colossians 1.14, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's not a hoax. If you've believed on Christ, your slate has been wiped clean. You are, you are washed in the blood of the lamb. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. And because Christ is risen, all ministers of Christ through all ages are not liars. In Colossians chapter one, it says, him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man that we might present every person mature in Christ. And because Christ is risen, Christianity is not a colossal waste of time. It brings joy and comfort and encouragement. It brings us peace, fellowship. Jesus promises abundant life and he gives it to every one of his genuine followers because he is risen. Now, this is the thing. Christians can agree to disagree about a lot of stuff. We can see it differently and have a little different viewpoint and Christians all over the world could quickly list some things that they believe differently than you or me. But this is at the center. God sent his son into the world, Jesus Christ. and He died as an atoning sacrifice for our sins and he rose from the dead to prove that he is God. And he offers new life and abundant life to everyone who believes in him. This is the pivotal piece. Now pray with me. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus Christ, alive this moment, head of his church, working throughout the world. We thank you in the name of Jesus for your gracious love gift of your son, for his payment for our sin, for his victorious resurrection, for his current reigning and ruling at your right hand over all the universe. And we worship him and we adore him. We pray for those who have not bowed their knee to Jesus Christ. Maybe some have been forced. Come on in here, you're gonna listen to this. And now they are, and I pray by your Holy Spirit that they would in this moment believe upon him whom to know is life eternal. That they would claim the promise that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How we need to receive the gift, the free gift of eternal life. I pray for those who are believing right now, turning from sin, embracing Christ by faith, joining the choir of Christ followers around the world who are singing and celebrating. He is risen, he is risen, he is risen indeed. And risen with power and risen with healing and risen with comforting presence for all who call upon his name. 
We thank you, Jesus, for your resurrection life and that that life is in us by faith in you. For we pray in your precious name, Jesus. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.